Hi, guys. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Hi, guys. I grew up in Chicago. Everybody was a guy. Now I live in the Southwest. We don't use that word anymore. So those of you in the Midwest who call each other guys still, a shout out to all you guys. We are talking about something very sacred, marriage. God's absolute uh, design. Really, isn't it true you would never have created marriage if you had had a choice? <laughs> I, I sometimes laugh literally out loud like I just did. Like, what was God thinking? But I know what God was thinking. I'm old enough to know what God was thinking. He was thinking about refinement. He was thinking about obedience. He was thinking about the joy and the privilege of being married to someone and doing it God's way. There is nothing better in the world. But it, it, it ain't easy, girls. And we are married to a fellow homo sapien. But beyond that, there's not much of us that are have common ingredients I I met a young woman recently who told me a story that was staggering. And she wanted to know what I thought about her marrying the father of her child. And I I just took one look at her and took a deep breath and I said, well, here's what I'll tell you. If this man does not follow Jesus as you do, I would hold long and hard before I considered making a marriage commitment. And the scripture is very clear to tell us that we need to be equal in this decision. And with long experience, I will tell you that when you are not equal in this, things go south and north and east and west and not in the same direction. Because what you love, which is Jesus more than anything else, and you should, if the guy is weak and cranky and he doesn't love Jesus, he feels put out, he's jealous. And then what do you do? And when you're not in agreement about what God says, about how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how many children you have, how you raise children, where you go to church, what you do, well, isn't marriage hard enough being married to a homo sapien who's a man, who does everything differently than you do, looks differently than you, talks differently than you, takes a shower differently than you, is just different than you. And then you want to add that too. So today I'm going to talk to you about three more of the nine essentials. The first one is acceptance. The second one is headship and submission. And the third one, which will be very brief because we are on, on public air, intimacy. Essentials in marriage. Well, what is acceptance? What does acceptance look like? Well, I first would draw you to Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 5 and 6. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. He destined. He destined. Can you accept that? Do you accept that? And then looking at the book of Romans, which you can never read too often or too many times, Romans chapter 5, in verse 1, and you can hear my pages turning. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are justified by faith. Just accept it. Just, just accept it. 
If every mistake I made was not certain of this acceptance, shame and dysfunction would grow exponentially in me. But I am justified by faith, and I do have the peace. God is fully satisfied with me. If God be for me, then who can be against me? Who can be against me especially? Can I be against me when God is for me? Just think about that for a minute. Put your hands out in front of you and put God on one side and you on the other. If God is for you, isn't that a heavier weight than you being for you? Just just go for that. Go with it. Accept it. Typically, we think God likes all things to go well. And he, and he doesn't like it when I'm biffed. <laughs> no, no, God doesn't mind when I'm biffed. His bias must be my bias, and my bias must be accepting David Otto, who's my husband. I'm accepting the fact that God created David, created him in his image, created marriage, which is not easy for us to understand, but gave us the strength to do it, and then compared marriage to the whole plan of salvation in the universe. And his basis has to be my basis for accepting David. Now make a list of things that bug you, and right next to each one of them, I accept it. Here are a few, just given to me by various listeners. He watches too much TV. Okay, can I put in parenthesis, football, football. I accept it. He works too much. I accept it. He doesn't go to church enough. I accept it. He doesn't pray enough. He doesn't pray at all. He's not the head of the house. He doesn't read the Bible enough. He doesn't have a plan for our future. He plans too much and he's not spontaneous. He's too spontaneous and he doesn't plan enough. His parents control him. He doesn't honor his parents. There's a great line, and I think it's absolutely perfect when we talk about marriage, and that is that change, something we've been talking about this first month of the year, change can be disruptive or it can be expansive. Change is about leaving an old habit and creating a new one. And change happens when a human being lives in a bed of acceptance. Not only the marriage bed, but a bed of life. I don't care who it is you're having trouble with. I want you to know that you ask the Lord to give you an accepting heart for who that person is created in God's image. Just as God is using him and growing him and changing him, if it's your child or your sister or your parent or your pastor, it doesn't matter. But especially in your marriage, acceptance is essential. Now, what about this thing called headship and submission? Boy, these have been bantered around more than I like them to be bantered around. And there are two passages that I would refer to you, and I'm going to read both of them on air. The first is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Now, I remember the first time I encountered that verse, and I thought, what an audacious man that Paul was. Hey, everybody, do what I do. He, here I am. I'm the great uh, head over here, whatever it is I am, and you should do it my way. But he, he says, be imitators of me as I am the imitator of Christ. Everything else, psh, cancel out. 
I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions that I handed on to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the husband is the head of his wife and God is the head of Christ. That's where that word headship came from, girls. So get on it, hold on to it, understand a part of how God's plan is being enacted here in this transference of responsibilities. And then this verse, which is most often overlooked, and I I know I'm among the few, um, and I think there's a growing audience for this, in Ephesians chapter 5, and most of us go to Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22 and all the way through 32, and it talks about headship and submission, but I want to go to verse 21, and I'm not even going to read the rest of them, just 21, because he says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, when I met my husband, he was just a one another. Period. Period. Just another one another. And I am called to be subject to one another. He tells me to regard others more importantly than myself. In Romans, he says that we are to outdo one another in preferential kindness. That is not about the distinction of a husband or a wife or a kid or a mother or a tag. It's about humanity. And when these two people meet, you and your husband, you are subject to one another. Which means if he asks you and you ask him, you have the, nobody's pushing anybody around here. You're subject to one another. So I happen to go with the plan A, what I call plan A. I've written about this in a couple of my books. Plan A is agreement. See, it's easy to remember A, agreement. Plan B is submission. Somebody has to stop, you know, put a finger in the dike if it's flooding. But if it's in agreement, if the two of you have agreed that you're going to be in agreement, you're going to be subject to one another, which is how you began this relationship. And he's going to hear your voice, which is different than his voice. I'm sure of it. And you're going to hear his voice, which is different than your voice. I'm sure of that. So submission to one another is how the passage starts, and it's how the relationship starts. Back to my dear friend Peter and Jesus. He says, be a servant to the greatest. The things that we are called to do is what Jesus calls us to do. There is respect and acceptance in this ideal of responsibility and yielding ourselves to one another. David's not smarter than me. He knows more about a lot of things than I do, but he's not smarter than me. He's not more godly than me. He's different than me. He's very different than me. And that weight is on him, not on me. It's on him. And the wise woman is the one who realizes that being in charge is a boatload of work and responsibility. Why do you want it? And yet, uh, we've talked about this on air many times, and I come back to it often. And that is that, where is your confidence? My friend Norm Wakefield, who said, the single thing that a man wants most from a woman is that she has her confidence in God, not him. Now, I can tell you, girls, that I started out marriage thinking my confidence was in him. Poor guy. How can you live with that? Like, 
do it all, honey. You're in charge. Be uh, My confidence is in you. God doesn't have anything to do with this. My confidence is in God. And my confidence was that God called me to be married to this man. Yielding is a habit and one that makes you change. Being in charge is a habit, and you have a choice. You have a choice to surrender, or you have a choice to be in charge. Submit and yield yourself, the scripture says, to your superiors, to government, to elders in the church. It's all over the place. And so it is that we are to submit to one another. That's the first step. You don't have to worry about submission very often. You only have to worry about it as if it comes to a draw. I have a dear, precious friend who I love dearly. I no doubt love her more than any other woman in the world. And I have watched her agonize when her husband says, I'd like to do this. And her first response when she was young was, not on your life. But she came to understand this thing called agreement and came and she would say to him, <laughs> voice, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll think about that. I'll pray about that. I'll think about that. I'll get back to you. And, and she did it. And there would, she would call me and she'd say, you're not going to believe it. You know how I hate that. You know how I don't want to do that. You're, you're just not going to believe it. God has called me to do that. And then they began to do that with each other more regularly. Not just her to him, but him to her. And she'd say, I'd really like to buy that. And he'd say, I'll get back to you on that. And then he would take it to his confidence, who is God, and vice versa. And then they would come together. And sometimes they had to do a little rough edges. You know, yeah, I want to buy that, but I can't buy that one. I can buy this one because that's what we could afford, and we have to work it out. And sometimes I want to make a trip, and he doesn't want to make that trip, and we work it out. But we come to agreement. Nobody is lording over you except your Lord. No one is God over you except your God. Have your confidence in God and God alone. And my last subject of the nine essentials, not my last, it's not the ninth, but... I kind of lost track. What is What number this one is, actually? I think intimacy is number six, but I'm not positive, so don't count them up. We'll get back to you on that. <laughs> but my last one is read to you in one verse, one verse only found again in 1 Corinthians by our dear beloved Paul. And I recently said this to a woman who is in a huge argument, fight for her life, she thinks, about her husband and relationships with him. And Paul says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement Aren't I sneaky? I got that right in there right after we talked about agreement. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a set time to devote yourselves to prayer and then to come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. It's black and white. It's not easy, but it's simple. We have no rights 
to our own bodies once we are married. God calls us to be willing to touch, to kiss, to hold, to have intimacy. That is not my choice. It's God's choice. I'm very careful about talking about this on air, but I get a lump in my throat every time I see a mom and dad hug each other. And I know a lot of kids get lumps in their throats when they say, or they're adolescent teenagers and they say, don't do that, mom, don't do that, dad, oh, that's awful. We have an adult child who's married herself. And every so often she'll say to me, that's sweet, mom. And that will be her dad and I kissing or hugging or touching intimacy. God calls us to remember that we are not in charge of our own bodies, neither husband nor wife, and that the only time we are to withhold that from one another is that by agreement we've set aside a time to pray for something and that this sacrifice would help us to hear what God has to say. Well, I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers, and I have been so glad to be with you today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for um, sending us a note where you listen from Miss Russia, whoever you are, we're waiting to hear from you. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go on and make it a very uncommon day of being married.